Welcome, Path Folk, to the Find the Path Ventures After Party Live. That's that's what I had for an That's open. us. We're live. That's I was us. Like, yeah, that's I was all like, of us. I was like, oh, that's that's right. That is an intro. Um. <laughs> so, yeah, welcome, all of you. Um, I am Rick Sandage. I am the uh, the host and game master for the Find the Path, uh, Hell's Rebels, War for the Crown, and Tyrant's Grasp Adventure Path. I am joined by my two co-hosts. You may introduce yourselves. I'm Jessica Jenkins. I play in all those games. <laughs> I'm Jordan Jenkins. I play in all those games. Yep, this is going to be the crew for today. Um, so I figured we're just going to be uh, going into a little bit of the basics. Uh, this is our first of our new after party, our new live after party, uh, which is our our change up from what we did previously. Um, as before, of course, as many of you are familiar with, we've done uh, after party shows, basically like discussion shows and all the rest of that stuff at the uh, the conclusion of three episodes during our uh, our streams previously. And then we ended the after party series in Rumor Mill and Postmortem uh, at the end of last year. Uh, I'm being informed that you are a touch quiet, Rick. I'm a touch quiet. I don't usually get that. Yeah. Yep. Do I need to do a check one, too? Or are we good? Uh, if you can boost yourself just a little bit. Yeah, boost my gain here a little bit. Let me turn yeah, up that little, little knob bit, there. Jess, Jess turn is that up just a smidge. You're a little quiet. Oh, just I'm a coming little in smidge fine. on my That's end. Exciting. All right, hopefully that is a little bit better for everyone, and uh, please update me. Again, this is a live format. It's not something that we're uh, we're accustomed to doing quite as much. We do the so occasional live thing. If you're, if you're catching thing, this on our, uh, uh, on our feed later and you're wondering why we sound, we're sounding kind oh, of weird, it's because this is live. Yeah. <laughs> Future Rick will take care of that. There, there'll be a little... I'm going to be going in and doing a little... Oh, you're going to edit this a little bit? Okay. All maybe right. a little bit. So, however, everyone uh, watching on uh, on Twitch gets the, uh, the raw, uncut version of Find the Path. So, uh, you're welcome. Yeah, so basically, uh, this is going to be our new format going forward, which are our After Party Live series. And so the idea behind this is um, we want to focus on listener engagement. And uh, when we stopped doing the After Party type shows for our actual plays, we all agreed that the thing that we would miss the most was the direct engagement between uh, between ourselves and the listeners and the emails and the conversations and such, uh, more so than I think really anything uh, anything outside of that more than like the recaps or even the rules discussion, as much as I love a good rules discussion. Uh, we wanted to be able to engage a little bit more with the audience directly. And so we eventually decided that honestly, a live format would probably be the best way of going about that so that we can have a conversation directly with all of you, with you in the same virtual uh, for the audience uh, listening later. I was using air quotes there, uh, virtual room uh, where we can all sit together and chat. So just chatting, as it were. I'm not sure if that's yes. actually the category. That is that actually the category in. that we're there in. There we yeah. go. Just cat. Just chatting. Just a casual. Just chat. chatting, also because there's just a cat chatting. in the background. Uh, is there? There probably is. There is. There's always a cat in the background. Uh, we do still intend on having some uh, discussion about the shows in the after parties. Although we will try to keep them as spoiler free as possible. We will not be doing recaps, which is something that we did previously, where we just kind of talk about this is what happened in the most recent episodes, in large part because while there are a shocking number of uh, listeners that are caught up on War for the Crown and Hell's Rebels and Tyrant's Grasp, 
that is not the majority of our listeners. So if you are if you're strictly a second edition player and only really like listening to our Hell's Rebels content, and you know you're just not interested in first edition whatsoever, uh, or if you haven't taken the plunge yet in uh, joining our Patreon and uh, going into the uh, uh, Tyrant's Grasp, or if you're just not mentally prepared for the ordeal that is Tyrant's Grasp, <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean Tyrant's Grasp. Tyrant's Grasp will hit you in the wallet and the feels. It's true. Does all of the things. We don't want to create this barrier of entry for our after party series. Uh, this is supposed to be a place where you can come and just kind of discuss what you, uh, what you're thinking. And so uh, basically our, our main goal with this format is to just have a show where we can come on, hang out with all of you, hang out with one another, have a great conversation. Uh, obviously only half of the crew is here. And uh, that is kind of a, a plan moving forward that it is recording the show, recording all of these shows is a very large time commitment. And, um, if I'm being blatantly honest and being the uh, the constantly pushing us to make more content person, which is what I usually <laughs> am, uh, if all six of us were available, we'd be recording an episode. Ah, yeah. Yes. The whole idea of this is this is the time when all six of us, generally speaking, are not all available. Uh, and so uh, today you have been uh, been blessed by the the presence of uh, uh, both the Jenkinses, and uh, ah, we'll have yes. uh, rotating extra people coming in and out as a. Uh, as their availabilities are um, are there, and also guests, which is something that we're looking forward to here in the future. Yes, and I was actually just uh, playing around with Twitch when we were getting this all set up. There is a guest mode they've just launched on Twitch, so uh, we can pull you into the stream uh, if we pull in like a guest, like a you know a writer or something like that. Like we can actually yeah. like, pull them in, which is really cool without having to like yeah. worry about getting them on to like our recording with Zencaster and all that jazz. Yep. So, yeah, going forward, we do plan on having uh, guests and doing a lot of our interviews and all the rest of that stuff. Uh, we fortunately have managed to, over the years to make a couple inroads with uh, with the fine folks over at Paizo. So uh, pull in a couple of favors there. Something about there being and partners for like four years, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> you would Going think to all that the we conventions have, yeah, and everything. <laughs> be able to convince at least one or two of them to come on. Yeah. It was something I wanted to make a more common thing. We had uh, Ron Lundeen come on after we finished the first book of Tyrant's Grasp. Oh, yeah. And discuss the first book of Tyrant's Grasp. And I would love to make that a reoccurring thing of having the writers come on once we've completed a book to really uh, delve into like, their thought process uh, after we've spent a year exhaustedly going through um and not exhaustedly exhaustively but uh going through a uh a book of uh an adventure path i feel like i'm dominating the conversation it, it's you basically know. the same as if you were gming right <laughs> like you're the mc of this also so we're just kind of like all right we're gonna wait for him to finish talking and we'll yes we're here to play the game i thought we were playing a game <laughs> <laughs> yeah we haven't rolled a single dice yet this is an it's a and b side what's been going 10 on whole here minutes. <laughs> can i make a recall knowledge check <laughs> i thought this was you know adrian lucia doing some crazy things on a bridge running from tatari oh geez oh no yeah, don't, let's not don't get us that. started we'll sorry yeah, i didn't mean to i didn't mean to bring up bad memories <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's true that's also a very bad memory for me personally <laughs> that was a delightful memory for me personally i feel personally attacked so yeah so for for this week um it will only be us and of course uh this will be a reoccurring thing this will be every first saturday of every month uh same time every time so uh if you're you know, if you want to put it in your Google schedule, if you really enjoy this and you're just like, I just want to put this down on my, you know, my Google calendar, 11 o'clock every Saturday, first Saturday of each month. And so uh, the next one will be immediately following uh, PaisoCon. So uh, we may or oh, may yeah. not have a guest on that. Um, still hammering out some details there. Uh, however, we will be discussing a lot of what is uh, is brought up during the uh, the PaisoCon, which is something that we are very excited for. 
Yeah, That's the stuff true. that they've they've uh, they've kind of leaked out ahead of it is really exciting. Like enough that I'm like, well, okay. See, I will be going for like the the Friday feed and stuff, and you know, signing in for all of that. So I've got to like oh, tell work, hey, I'm not going to come in because there's <laughs> there's <laughs> that something more important. There's to do. more important things afoot. Yes, priorities. For all those people that are, are working and also having like it streaming on their phone through like an earbud or something like that, I've I've been in that camp many a time where I'm just like, you know what, I'll just have the Paizo stream on the entire time while I'm doing spreadsheets and stuff like that. I was going to say, it's the problem of being a manager now that I just sit in a lot of meetings, so I can't get away with that because it's hard to yeah. listen to a podcast or, or anything else while I'm trying to participate in a meeting. Oh, yeah, I just didn't have meetings, but... God. Um, Some people okay. are blessed because Jess and I live <laughs> in a meeting world. <laughs> We're basically doing this all day long, except I don't have like a light on and everything. Yeah, there are We're a lot of people that feel stuff. seen right now. Um, and I do want to mention, actually, before we go much further, that uh, we will be doing a Q&A because, um, again, this is, you know, the whole goal of this is to have more uh, listener engagement. <clears throat> and so if you have any questions, feel free to uh, drop them in the chat. Don't feel like you can't um, ask questions pertaining towards the show, but we'll probably um, uh, both rephrase the questions a little bit and answer them in a more... Uh, my brain just immediately went to uh, game agnostic way. way. I said generic but in my brain, and I was like, generic, that's not the right generic, word. Yeah, that's fair generic's enough. Not bad. In a way that Vague? doesn't necessarily spoil um, what's coming up. Eh, so it's for Yeah. And, and again, there may be the possibility of some spoilers. It's something that we will actively avoid. But uh, we are only human. So, yeah, I suppose we should just kind of dive into things proper now. Uh, getting that Rick's introduction. Gonna talk some and, more. I'm going <laughs> to talk some more, probably. <laughs> Uh, that's what you all showed up here for, right? So yeah, we wanted to talk about a, a number of things here and uh, kind of getting into the idea. This is the first of the after parties. This is where we kind of, we come forward, we present what the uh, idea for this is going forward. And really for the after party series going forward, which we plan on spending about an hour or so discussing some subjects. Uh, some of these will be subjects that are things that we're just personally interested in addressing. Uh, some of them are uh, one of the upper levels for our Patreon tiers, uh, does have the uh, option of suggesting subjects. And so we may even have a couple of uh, patrons on as guests as well, yep. uh, which is all something I'm very much looking forward to. That's going to be interesting for That's sure. It's going to be interesting. Well, it breaks up the dynamic. Because, it really does. You know, yeah, it really does. Like, you know, just, just Jordan and I and Rachel, we literally went out for steaks last night and talked about games and all the rest of that stuff. So like it helps that we live like literally 15 minutes yeah. from each other. Right. <laughs> so like getting together yeah. is not a big deal. Yeah. So being able to bring in somebody else that kind of uh, breaks up that dynamic will be interesting. So if you're on that tier, if you're in that find the path tier, do make sure that you like yeah. let us know. Yeah, do make sure to respond, yeah. let us know, and we'll uh, we'll all work together to figure out a way to uh, to make some fun, entertaining content for everyone. Um, but I suppose uh, still business first. We're in the business side of this right now. We're still in the business part of the mullet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's early. <laughs> I heard a joke recently. Um, that, that was good, This is, by the way, the stuff that usually gets cut from episodes. So in case you're wondering what usually gets cut. I heard a joke recently that was, uh, you know, for millennials now, um, everyone has to work so much that mullets are business in the front and the back. Oh. Ouch. That's terrible. That's, That's terrible and true. However, I did want to take an opportunity to talk a little bit about our Patreon. Uh, I've mentioned it a couple of times since we've started this. Of course, we do have a Patreon. Um, it has been a very uh, active time for our Patreon recently. As uh, many of you may be familiar with, uh, we actually broke our 5K a month goal last month. Heck yeah. Which was amazing. Uh, unfortunately, a common thing with Patreon is what is referred to as the quote-unquote dip 
amongst a lot of things I've read on it, this capital D dip, uh, which is basically ah. the beginning of the month. Uh, usually most Patreons, ourselves included, see about a 5% drop off. This is usually because of uh, credit cards not processing properly and all the rest of that stuff and it recovers from it. So while we did see us break 5K, we actually dropped back below that when the, uh, the final payment processed through. However, uh, considering that we usually see the return back to where we were before the middle of the month, uh, we're actually back above 5K. Uh, right now, and it's only the 6th. Uh, we do expect to probably see a stabilize over 5k in June, which means that, uh, of course, our 5k reward there was us moving towards Tyrant's Grasp as a weekly show, uh, which is something, yeah, we're all very excited for. Oh, yeah, no, it's gonna be great. Uh, I remember every once in a while depressing, uh, uh, you know, Ross or anyone else that I was chatting was like, it's like, do you think, you know, do you ever think about the fact that if we had gotten to 5k, like when we first launched the Patreon? We'd be 200 episodes in right now. Oh. Yeah, we'd, we'd be, be like be solidly in, the final in book six. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember how when we didn't record games, we used to finish APs in like a year, year and a half? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was it was one year and we would do Wild. two APs a year. Yeah, we would do two APs a year. Yeah. We would yeah. have a, we'd have a Saturday game and a Sunday game. They'd be different yeah. APs and we finish an AP an entire year. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that when you put a microphone in front of me, I talk uh, even more than normal, <laughs> which is impressive. To be fair, I think everyone talks a little uh, bit more. To be fair, we all talk more. I think it's uh, we because we generate more content than what actually makes it into the episodes. Oh, so yeah. because there's really there's a lot of jokes. like yeah like bad jokes, <laughs> uh, '90s references that we've already made ten times already. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. recycle jokes. I'm really bad about recycling jokes, so those all if get. Rachel cut. has to tell me about the real Ghostbusters one more time. Oh <laughs> <laughs> it is about like every ten episodes somehow that gets worked in, or anytime we see a ghost, there's like a oh, Ghostbusters yeah. reference. We did break the 5K, uh, and we are working towards uh, Tyrant's Grasp as a weekly show. Honestly, and uh, you know, putting aside the humor and, the, uh, and all the rest of that for a second, I honestly cannot undersell to everyone, uh, both watching right now and listening later, how phenomenal the growth of our Patreon has been. Uh, in 2022, you know, last year, uh, as of the recording of this, uh, was really stagnant year for us. Um, honestly, for most Patreons and all the rest of that stuff, for obvious reasons, you know, look at the world in 2022. When we started this year, our Patreon was making about 4300 And my goal for the end of this year, my goal for the end of 2023, was to get us up to 5K. And hey, we are good job. five months into the year, and uh, that has been blown out of the water. It was an unprecedented Precedented, uh, unprecedented, and unprecedented, unprecedented yeah. Uh, yeah, outpouring of uh, yes, I'm stepping down as yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have an election. Basically, this this massive outpouring of support, and uh, I don't know exactly what has caused that. Um, I know that we have been mentioning the Patreon a great deal more on our show. So many of you have probably noticed that uh, we have had our launch of War for the Crown, which has been uh, exceptionally well received, which is great because right now it is way up there on the list of shows that I'm really enjoying running that mm-hmm. every single week. Yeah. There's never a time that I'm just like, oh, do we have to record War for the Crown this week? There, there is, a, there is a really fun group of characters for that one. Oh, yeah. That's true. I love any and, game where I can be mean to Jordan. I like any game where I can be like over the top and dramatic. So that's like, you know, it's playing like nobles just kind of like leads to being kind of ridiculous. So true. it's fun. True. Yeah. And uh, and of course, we've also had so many people um, uh, talking about the show 
uh, pushing people towards the show, uh, discussing the sh- when people bring up things about wanting to get into Pathfinder 2nd Edition, which for uh, obvious reasons, towards the beginning of this year, a lot of people were looking at Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Uh, we'll probably touch a little bit on Go that figure. whole OGL thing a little bit later. But we've seen this this great outpouring of this, this great growth. And for all the people that have supported us on Patreon and all the people that, even if you're not supporting us on Patreon and you're going on social media and you're suggesting things, people to us and you're uh, pointing people to us for ways to uh, learn to play the game, which is always a compliment. We appreciate that. We do make mistakes. Um, I've got, you know, a couple <laughs> pink sticky notes over here that I need to get to eventually. <laughs> see that we, sticky note episode. I was, yeah. was going to say. You know, like right, you know, that one right there. Somebody can maybe pause that and reverse it later on to see what that says. It's not good <laughs> for one of the players. And uh, so I'm going to I'm gonna let you guys in a little bit behind the, uh, not even behind the screen, um, as far as a GM screen, but uh, basically into uh, into my office, into the workspace here. We into plan our projects. Yes, into the cubicle. Into the cubicle full of cats It's the and nicest other cubicle ever. It's I know, not a cubicle I really at like, all, but whatever. Really like, <laughs> into the spreadsheet. The spacious 10-foot no, by 10-foot cubicle I find myself in. Yes. We plan out our, uh, our recording schedule pretty far in advance. Um, we are all... Adults that have busy lives, um, we have, none of us do this. This is not the primary uh, job for anyone here, hopefully for me shortly. But um, for everyone else here, everyone's got other projects that they work on, other things that they're working on, their day-to-day lives. And so we do schedule out the recording process far in advance. And as many of you are familiar with, uh, towards the, I believe actually in the last after party that we did, Mm. Uh, for Mummy's Mask, we discussed the fact that we are seeing the return of Tales from Dark Moon Vell. Yes. Mm, I'm so excited. Whichever well, everyone here is excited for, I know a lot of listeners have been asking. That was an extraordinarily short run when I think back to it, because I think that was, what was that, nine episodes? Yeah, it was like episodes? nine or ten episodes. Pretty short. Yeah, not very many. And we had a, a, a lot of people that really connected with that show. And I very much look forward to getting back to that show. And that is the big project that we have in the works right now. Uh, basically, Tales from uh, Dark Moon Vale is in the, uh, the pre-production stage as we speak right now, uh, which is mostly, you know, Ross getting a little bit more familiar with the, uh, the game mastery side of Foundry, uh, which is quite a bit different than, you know, the player side of Foundry. Uh, getting everything prepped and, uh, and all the rest of that stuff and uh, scheduling things out. And we will be running through the... Um, we already did. What was the first book of that called? Because I just always think Tales from Dark Moon Vale. Oh, I know. Um, I, all I know is we're doing the Kobold King one. Yeah, we're doing Crown of the Kobold King. Yeah, we're doing um, Crown Hollow's of the Last Hope. The Hollow's Last, Last Hope. Hope. That's thank what you. it is. Yeah. Thanks, thank Mira. you. Thank you also uh, to who, Mirror Wolf in the chat who told us. Yes, thank you so much. Um, and so we've already done Hollow's Last Hope. We're doing um, the Crown of the Kobold King next, which is a substantially larger book, uh, particularly the hardback book. Uh, that came well, out uh, recently. Is Ross going to run that version or his own version? Because I know he did the conversion. I think he is planning on doing a hybrid of the two. Um, cool. However, he did tell me that it's going to be a much longer uh, run. And so when that comes out, um, I mean, I guess we'll, we're going to see whether or not that's going to end up being like 20 episodes or something. I don't know how long it's actually going to end up running. And as such, we'd already scheduled out the time for uh, recording that. And as soon as we're done with recording Tales from Dark Moon Vale, we'll basically begin recording additional episodes for Tyrant's Grasp uh, for it to go weekly. So while we have hit the 5K, our actual goal right now is, uh, and we do think that we're going to stabilize over 5K in June, 
Uh, our goal is to have, uh, and by goal, I mean, it's a definitive putting a hard, you know, chop on that. This is the date. When we reach our anniversary in September, Tyrant's Grass is going to be a weekly show. And so uh, all of you have gone out of your way to make certain to get us there. Uh, we don't want to push it back any more than we have to. But we've also been promising tales from Darkmoon Vale for like two years. Um, and so <laughs> yeah, since that's fair. already in the pre-production stage, and, and again, when we reached the beginning of this year and I made that announcement for Tales for Darkmoon Vale, I remember having a conversation with Ross and he was asking, it's like, are we going to be able to work that into the schedule to get that recorded? And I was like, well, I mean, even, even if we see 2023's growth go back to 2021's growth, uh, basically go back before the, the slump in 2022, I was like, we've got nine, 10 months. Again, I, I don't think we're going to hit 5K before the end of the year. And, uh, and all of you proved me wrong. So here a point for all of you. It's really fun to prove Rick wrong. <laughs> it is great to prove Rick wrong. We all enjoy that immensely. Yes, yes. Lord it over <laughs> me for a time. <laughs> so yeah, so September 4th, I believe it is, is going to be the first of the uh, the new weekly shows. And then it is going to be a weekly show going forward from there. So um, I don't have that actually pulled up here in front of me, unfortunately. Uh, but basically it means that the... Might be able to get that pulled up here in just one second. Do I have got the recording schedule? Got the release schedule? Ooh, got that Fun thing about the recording schedule, on. it gets messed up like every week. It I was going to say, I think it's literally every week we've got something at it some point moving. It is a moving yeah, target. moving the, the schedule around. Uh, but that being said, yes. So on uh, Tyrant's Grasp episode uh, 108 is going to be our first episode that is going to be uh, basically on what would normally be an off week. Uh, for uh -huh. Tyrant's Grasp. And but so, what will happen um, to share memories? Uh, so the share memories are going to continue to be uh, released on a bi-weekly basis. Uh, however, we are going to be moving the day that the share memory releases. As a rule, we try to avoid having two things release on the same day. Um, it just kind of splits focus and uh, it messes with our metrics if we're still in the business side of discussions. Uh, and so uh, we will be moving those likely to Thursdays. Um, possibly Friday, but likely to Thursdays is when those are going to be moved. Uh, that way, whenever your RSS feed comes up, you're not going, okay, well, I'm going to immediately listen to a shared memory and then I'm going to jump into the Tyrant's Grasp. And instead of this being uh, my my listen for my commute or something like that, now I don't have, I have to extra listen or you have to sit in the driveway for 20 minutes after you, you <laughs> know, uh, get in your car and listen to shared memory. Which none of, none of our listeners have ever <laughs> done that, ever. I, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. If I was being sarcastic. I'm sure there's at least somebody. I think, I think I heard a story about somebody that was listening to Tyrant's Grasp and had to like stay in their car to calm down. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, that happens from time to time. You yeah. guys, uh, I think I stress this quite a bit, but, uh, you know, all of you as, as far as, you know, Justin Jordan are concerned, all the players that aren't here, um, you guys really deliver, uh, especially for Tyrant's Grasp. Uh, because it's that a game. much more, it's a good uh, one. There, yeah. yeah, there's something about that AP that like really touches. Yeah. So uh, it's certainly quality content. Oh, one other thing I did want to mention pertaining towards Patreon. Um, and this is actually pertaining towards the Patreon website. Uh, Patreon did decide to remove goals. I don't know why. Which is weird. We were, we were talking about this before. That Yeah. Why? Well, I was a little confused by it because we had a couple of people go on our Discord and just go, where can I view these the goals that the Patreon's working towards? You know, you guys are talking about Hell's Rebels going weekly and and all the rest of that. And then people kept going. It's like, oh, you go in here and you click over there. And then people kept going, there's nothing there anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that was because Patreon decided to remove goals. Um, they offer a whole bunch of 
reasons why, but they don't really make sense to me. And so uh, goals are not listed on there. That being said, we do still intend on having Hell's Rebels go weekly whenever we hit um, 7,500. And so uh, if that's what you're kind of wondering about, what we're working towards, that is the eventual goal. Oh, somebody said um, they actually still see the the uh, 7,500 goal on mobile. So maybe they're it on desktop. That's odd. I mean, the yeah. mobile app probably is separate from the desktop, so they I may just know. not have pushed that update yet. Or yeah. maybe they may be doing a slow rollout of it to take it away. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe if I complain enough. Um, Everyone complain to Patreon. Knows everybody at Patreon, clip this, <laughs> send it over to them. <laughs> yeah, we are upset. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, it's a weird choice, but um, I don't run business and I don't understand where their numbers make sense for that. Maybe maybe it makes sense in their heads. Maybe maybe it was being abused by people somehow. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's a possibility. There's always, there's always or... somebody who's got to ruin it for the rest of us. So <laughs> I'm going to blame them. Yeah. However, again, um, when we hit 75 um, or yeah, when we hit uh, 7,500, uh, 7,500, that we are going to be releasing Hell's Rebels um, on a weekly basis. Uh, so my, my new goal is to get back weekly. to the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, if we got that by the end of the year, that would be with insane. Ourselves. Yeah, that'd be insane. We'd make it work somehow. Yeah. We always find time. Speaking of Hell's Rebels though, and this is the uh, this is the point where I come before all of you uh, hanging my head with shame. Oh no. Oh no. I did want to take a second to update everyone on the Hell's Rebels conversion notes. Uh, this is something that's been brought up a couple of times. My... My initial goal at the beginning of the year that I put for myself was to have the conversion notes processed through and uh, uh, basically start getting caught up by February. And uh, unfortunately, the putting out the conversion notes has been a moving target for a while for me. Um, it's proven to be a much larger project than I initially expected. And uh, not just by providing, you know, like good conversions and all the rest of that stuff. The formatting, the formatting. Is, well, yeah, it's a lot of it is um, I have the information. I've made the notes. Of course, I'm running Hell's Rebels, and so I'm making the conversion and all the rest of that stuff as I'm going. A lot of it is putting it into a, uh, a product that, again, whenever we release the first one, um, Jessica put that together for us. And the first one is uh, it's a beautiful you know, PDF that uh, looks professionally done. And so uh, we want to keep you know, delivering on that level. However, uh, Jessica's a very busy person. Again, uh, we, you know, everyone has things that they do outside of this. I think we talked earlier about how we live in meetings. And yeah, and so unfortunately, the uh, the conversion notes and getting that pushed out had always been the thing that, it was kind of the first thing that when we ran into a wall and something needed to be moved, mm -hmm. uh, that was it. However, um, I have moved that further up the to-do list, uh, my massive stack of sticky notes that I use to organize all of my projects. And uh, I'm very low-tech, but... Um, <laughs> So our current plan right now is um, I can tell you with certainty that the next part will be available by the end of this month. Uh, I've made certain of that. It's basically, you know, right now I'm just hammering out a few kinks, adding in some art assets, uh, making the the next part available. With us breaking 5K, my goal is to be caught up on this soon. Uh, my goal from Word Go had always been to, once we finished a part, release my conversion notes for that part. And so uh, that is my goal again, moving forward. Getting to it may be difficult, but it is something that I do intend on working towards uh, as fast as I can. Now I need to record more Tyrant's Grasp. Uh, but fortunately, I'll get a little bit of a break whenever uh, I'm not in the GM seat for uh, Tales from Darkmoon Vell. You can just sit there and be an amazing dwarf, picking apples and 
making tell, conversion tell notes. Tell us all about dwarven adventures. history. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get him started. Don't get me started. Launch into everything. Rick's still trying to advocate for that dwarven adventure path. <laughs> yeah. I'll actually I'll tease something here that there is a, another little side project that I've been working on for um, as we've recently started doing PDF and digital content as rewards for uh, I think it's 15 and up tier. And uh, I've been working on something that I think will be uh, very enticing for people, particularly the lovers of dwarves out there. Uh -oh. um, so uh, if you if you are a fellow uh, uh, fan of the uh, the stout folk, uh, stay tuned for that. And there is that adventure path coming out soon, which uh, is me very excited. It's true. He's already trying to talk Heather into playing a dwarf. He, he is. It's not going well. And you. <laughs> and I, say, Heather, I, Jessica, I, 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 say, I don't need convincing. I'll play a dwarf. It's fine. I made a dwarf in the playtest. A dwarfer. Yeah. I love me some dwarves. You get a dagger for free, which is cool. Yeah, I mean, you get a clan dagger for free. Um, there's a background. Uh, I think there's one of the feats that you can take or whatever it is that you get a clan pistol for free if you come from Dungan's Hold. Oh, okay, that's free cool. Free gun is rad. That's cool. Which is I interesting be because uh, with it too. <laughs> there's, there's a random side tangent here uh, related to that, though, where I'm I'm wanting to say in the lore for it, the whole thing with the clan dagger is, is that when a dwarven child is born, the clan dagger is what they use to cut the umbilical cord. And so uh, it is the first it is the first blade that tastes the blood of that dwarf is oh. the idea. It is a very interesting concept to it. Um, and I'm like, how does a gun work with so, that? So in the Duncan hold, do they just <laughs> like <laughs> take your gun and just like pow, pow. <laughs> every dwarf has that feat that lets you like shoot to move stuff or shoot to cut a rope or whatever. Oh, my gosh. Which seems amazing to me. Um, I'm 100 percent behind this, but uh we let him do it. We did it. We gave it to him. And now he's talking about dwarf lore. <laughs> you did it. You did it. I'm talking about dwarves now. We're going to. Well, I know we have a whole thing on here, this uh, this itinerary and everything, but I could fill yeah. up the next 30 minutes with dwarves. To be fair, Rick did this to himself first off. And if Rick is going to edit this later, he's going to have to remove all of this if it's no, off he's topic. Not. So. I'm not going to remove dwarf talk. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> now that just screams a bias right there. Dwarf, dwarf talk was the original proposed uh, name for the after party, but uh, unfortunately that one got shut down. <laughs> we were like, we, we, might go, get the on, wrong we idea. go on a conversation about '90s, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it hits the, you know, the cutting room floor. You start talking about dwarfs for thirty minutes, and it's hey, dwar dwarves are everyone. on subject. <laughs> and we is really Rachel. When we're talking about Buffy the Vampire. I mean, yeah, Slayer. true. That's fair. That is very fair. Yeah. So, uh, I suppose, um, yeah, that, that kind of gets done with all of the business side of this uh, this whole the opening for this and um, again we do plan on doing a Q&A uh, towards the end of this however uh, I just figured we'd sit back chat for a little while and all the rest of that stuff there's been a lot of uh, of interesting news coming out of Paizo and uh, the, uh, the tabletop industry recently it's a very interesting time in tabletop so yeah I know it's a thing that's on a lot of people's minds and all the rest of that stuff right now so do we want to start with the uh, the Pathfinder remaster project Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the thing everybody's most excited about. Or scared of. Or scared of. Yeah, I guess there's some people who are probably like, no, not another edition already. Yeah. But it's not another Which edition. Which is really not. It yeah. isn't. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who may or may not know, uh, Paizo has recently uh, announced their, what they refer to as the second edition remaster project. Um, as partners, we did have an opportunity to sit in on a, you know, partners only stream since you know we are business you know the the find the path ventures llc are business partners with paizo uh, and so we actually had a, a whole you know nda thing that we couldn't have a conversation about this when they brought this up to us uh, a little while back 
And then uh, they made the announcement on uh, April 26th about the second edition remaster project. Which means we could talk about it now. Yeah, and pretty much everything that they talked to us about it is now out. Yeah. They're just letting people, especially for the people that are in the publishing sphere, where it's like, hey, if you're planning on launching a new project. Maybe wait. Maybe wait a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I mean, first, I think Jordan mentioned, uh, Jordan or Jess, sorry, uh, one of you mentioned uh, something about, like, people being afraid that it's a new edition. Ah, yeah. And um, it's not. Uh, I don't know how many people listening there. I know uh, Jess and Jordan weren't, at the very least to my knowledge, uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons in the 3.0 to 3.5. I played once and it was the like beginner's box or whatever they called it. Yeah. Actually, I had a really good beginner's box for that. Um, came with really good miniatures. Light Dragon. I don't even think that this is something along the lines of the 3.0 to 3.5 conversion. Um, or the, the change in edition. It might be something a little bit similar to that, but I mean, that was when they went, man, haste is really broken. Um, <laughs> let's just fix haste. Haste lets you cast two spells per round. That just ridiculous. This is more my understanding is, um, you know, of course we can't really discuss the, uh, the Pathfinder remaster project without discussing the OGL controversy um, towards the beginning of this year. And that scared a lot of publishers. Mm-hmm. And content content creators for that yeah. matter. You know, there there were people that were you know reaching out and uh, were were concerned for us because, technically speaking, everything that we make is uh, related to OGL project products. That's true. And so the idea that we'd suddenly have to be giving thirty percent of all of our Patreon income to Wizards of the Coast, and I think a large part of the uh, the idea behind doing the second edition remaster project is to move away from the OGL and move to uh, the ORC, which is the uh, the Orc. Yeah, the Open RPG the, Creative License, yeah, but the Orc. The Orc, which is Paizo's kind of variant. They're uh, how do they replay um, um, the more stable and reliable uh, ORC license? That's mm-hmm. uh, specifically trying to get around some of the like. IP grabbingness that like OGL had that had so many content creators, oh, yeah. especially like very concerned about because Wizards was like, oh, you write anything that's in D and D, we might potentially have you know rights to that. And it's like, no, yeah. we don't want that. So the the ORC is based around the idea of you create it, you own it, yeah. uh, which makes it a lot more friendly for content creators, but also it's um, much more fair, you know, because if you know Rick writes a uh, a whole new world, like I say, just does a whole you know total conversion homebrew campaign, he should own oh, rights Dwarf to that. World. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Dwarf World. Yeah, I did. I did have somebody actually in the <laughs> chat mention that we should start a TikTok called Dwarf Talk and just have you talk about dwarves. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, you have funny. to learn how to use TikTok. I mean, yeah, you know, it's not really yeah. our bag. But yeah, uh, what Jordan was saying is it's very true that there were a lot of people that were. Frankly, and I say rightfully, worried about their mm-hmm. their livelihoods, um, especially for people that write this sort of content for a living, but are writing and using the the OGL for a living. And there was a lot of concern, you know. Wizards of the Coast is the nine hundred pound gorilla, mm-hmm. you know. As They're far as things Hasbro, are concerned, like the yeah. biggest, you know, <laughs> toy manufacturer. Yeah, and outside of that, of course, the the next biggest. You know, if, if you have King Kong stomping around over here, your only option is to get the Godzilla that is Paizo to, uh, you know, kind of step into the same ring. And a lot of people were waiting and hoping that Paizo would step forward and do something. And 
you know, that's where the orc comes in. Uh, but of course, I just, I just want to say that King Kong versus Godzilla. Godzilla is obviously the better side. Like, obviously. Yeah. Let them fight. <laughs> well, but but support Godzilla. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I do not want to come on here and just uh, and sit there and bash uh, Wizards of the Coast because I I grew up playing you know the play, playing AD and D and playing the Baldur's Gate CRPGs and I loved basically everything that they put out. And mind you, this was a lot of that was before Hasbro owned Wizards of the Coast. And oh, I wasn't bashing them. I was just saying in literal Godzilla versus yeah, King Kong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Godzilla is the best one. Yeah. Godzilla tends to be, you know, he kind of became a, a, a heroic figure over time. And then you got to watch the Godzilla with the baby Godzilla, because that one's delightful oh, and terrible. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Baby yeah. Godzilla is weird. <laughs> ah, it's delightful. But I think a lot of the uh, the changes for this are really, I think the idea is to move away from um, anything that could be linked back to the uh, OGL. And so uh, I think a lot of it's changing semantics. Yeah, because there's... There has always been certain things that um, Wizards of the Coast claims ownership to, right? There's certain monsters that can't be created outside of, you know, a wizard's product because they are, you know, copywritten. Yeah. Um, the the problem is, is that because so many games are based on concepts from D&D, um, we just think about it as like, oh, yeah, that's just how you do it in a, in a tabletop RPG. That's just, you know, alignment's just a thing. That's how you do it. Um, but because technically alignments were created at the beginning of Dungeons and Dragons as a concept. They can claim ownership to it is kind of what it is feeling like. Although I'm super into not having alignments anymore. I find that very interesting and cool. I, I, we, it's it's interesting. funny because we've, yeah, we've talked about it like uh, a couple different ways that you've done alignments and uh, I've always thought it was really interesting because I know, Rick, you mentioned White Wolf and how they have... Um, hmm. Nature uh, and demeanor. Yeah, like nature and demeanor. And it's a totally different way of thinking about your alignment that's not, it's more gray, right? Yeah. Like the alignment system is very cut and dry to a lot of people. Um, so, you well, know, it causes the idea, a lot of arguments. And, and yeah, that's the other thing. It also causes a lot of arguments because people think it's cut and dry, right? Like, um, you know, I'm chaotic good and thus I have to disobey all laws but still do the right thing. And it's like, well, no, technically, I mean, you can follow some laws. It's just you don't think that all laws yeah. are just, right? So it's like, it's it's a system that portrays itself as kind of cut and dry because like, especially because it's, it's there's spell effects that, you know, depend on your alignment and things like that. Like it's very, I find it's very difficult to make a character that's truly to an alignment. Uh, because there is the, those gray areas, and I well, think that's hopefully something they'll address in this remaster is making making something a little bit more um, gray. Because like there, there's some things like some people are gonna be like, you know, uh, Hell's Rebels is a good example. So like most of us are chaotic when it comes to all of the evil laws that you know Chiliax has, mm -hmm. but not all of us alignment wise are actually you know chaotic good. Yeah. So we disagree with the laws, but it's not saying we also say, hey, you know what, thievery is fine. Only some of us say that. It depends yeah, on who you're I mean, you guys from. aren't breaking and entering, you know, random people's houses. You're breaking and entering into government <laughs> facilities and things like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Robin Hood yeah. style. Yeah. So there's, I've always there's liked a, Robin Hood as an example there. of chaotic good. Yeah. And I, I do think with the alignment issue, um, that's kind of the big one that a lot of people are focusing on, is the alignments and how these uh, the edicts and anathema are going to work moving forward. Mm-hmm. Although it is interesting to take, like, make edicts and anathema. Every character kind of has them. That's an interesting idea because 
obviously I'm playing a druid in our Hell's Rebels game and I have anathema. Obviously, Adria's not going to go around polluting water or whatever it is, but uh, that feels very easy to follow. Like, well, obviously I'm not going to do that. Um, this character would make no sense if they did that. Yeah. And again, a lot of the changes that, you know, beyond just moving away from alignment, they are also moving away from other things that can connect directly to um, ah, the dragons. You know, well, yeah, they're they're changing the dragons because you can really say that metallic and chromatic dragons, that's a Dungeons and Dragons thing. Um, you know, moving away from things like uh, rust monsters. They already started doing it when they moved to second edition where, mm-hmm. you know, sturges became blood bugs or whatever the heck they're called. Oh, blood mm-hmm. bugs is not as cool sounding. Yeah, it's not as cool, but they they're basically moved away from a lot of these things that these are names that are really were come up were invented for Dungeons and Dragons or they're um, so intrinsically tied to it, you know, that you can make an argument that, you know, of course, the term Gorgon has existed for two and a half millennia as far as the, you know, the Grecian idea of the Gorgon. Mm-hmm. Um, however, the Gorgon being a metallic bull that turned you to stone with a breath weapon. That's kind of specifically that's a Dungeons not what a and Dragons is. sort of thing. I know. Yeah. I brought that up because we're upset, Jessica. Right. Yeah. <laughs> also, hemohoppers. That's what they should call surges. What? Kind of like grasshoppers meets hemoglobin. That's what I got. But they're flying creatures. They could hop. I mean, the moment you said hemohopper, my brain went to like some sort of frog that has like a, you know, proboscis <laughs> tongue that it shoots out and drains your blood from 20 feet away. Um, I'll stop that out later. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Gotta catch them all, Pokey Boys. Pokey Boys. Yep. See, someone dire in chat mosquitoes. said Dire Mosquito. I do like, yeah, that that one's a good one. I mean, Dire Mosquito is actually what they probably, like, literally are. Yeah. I mean, they've got bat wings, got a some, weird aberration. Yeah, they've got some like other infernally. weird stuff to them, but, like, basically they're, they're giant infernally. mosquitoes. Like, that's what a surge yeah. or blood seeker mosquitoes or whatever they're called. Mosquitoes are the devil, so, I mean, it kind of makes sense. We're here in Texas where, yes, they are the devil. But I do know that there's going to be a lot of semantic changes. So things like... And these are probably going to be things. I'm going to be perfectly honest with uh, with with everyone listening here. I've been playing some version of Dungeons and Dragons into Pathfinder <coughs> for since I was I first started when I was 11 years old, so 27 years now. And a full I, millennial ago. Yeah, that's that was a very <laughs> long time ago. <laughs> an entire an entire Gen Z entire person. Uh, person ago. Um, oh man. There's some people like, I wasn't even alive back then. It's like, ah, yes. Mm. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to take me if I will ever be able to switch out saying spell level for spell rank. I don't know how long it's going to take me uh, to, you know, I still say paladin instead of champion. I still just default to paladin because it's just in my brain. I still say five foot step, even though step is a. Yeah, even guarded says, step is technically the proper step, term yeah, for it. Yeah. yeah, but like, yeah, there's uh, somebody asked in the chat, actually, they're like, are you going to change your terminology um, for like, you know, Hell's Rebels and stuff? We're going to try some of them. My understanding, and I'm going to How preface this by saying this, that I am not a, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, Jordan took uh, one of the chat, one of the chat know, questions like, we're going to answer at the Q&A end. I that Q&A list. <laughs> Oops. Well, it was well, here, just leave it on there and we'll get back to that a little bit later. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll discuss at the end of this all the, uh, the various things that we're going to struggle with as far as uh, changing terminology and everything else for Hell's Rebels is concerned. I do want to mention, though, um, since Jordan did a little segue on there, um, that we will be changing Hell's Rebels to update it to the remaster project. They are going to be doing some light changes to a number of the classes, and if any of those are classes that we're actively playing, then those classes are going to be changed over. 
It's the same way as, you know, in first edition, I eventually just said, you know what? Unchained rogues are just rogues. To ignore the rogue yeah. section. All oh, rogues yeah. are unchained. And I think like Niccolo has the champion archetype. So I'm sure Niccolo will have some changes. Yeah. He'll probably have a couple changes that kind of come in there as far as our second edition stuff is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know how long before they're going to be doing anything that involves the um, investigator. Like I've heard True. things as far as like, I think Cesare is going to be proficient with all simple weapons now. You know, so it's like, okay, yeah, well, well, there's a minor change for you. Whatever, instead of alignments. Yeah. But it's not the same as, you know, if I just said, yeah, we finished book one of War for the Crown, and now we're doing War for the Crown in second edition or something like that. We're oh, not that'd making, be wild. It's not going to be a huge adjustment for us. I don't even know if I could make my class in war in second edition right now. Yeah. Somebody in the chat is saying Cesare can use a gun now. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Wait, How? are guns martial so weapons? I, I don't think that there'll They're be probably a, a common, change. Though. In yep. in uh, in Chiliax, yeah, for sure. <laughs> anyway, also they're not really good for our whole stealth thing that we're you know doing. I just actually seeing Cesare with a gun first of all reminds me of Hollis, but second of all would be really funny. Also, oh yeah, that's a good point. We've been there and done that with the wizard with a gun. I mean, Hollis never used the gun, so then it could be like sure. a. I guess that's a spoiler. <laughs> spoiler. Hollis yeah. doesn't use the gun. Yeah. I don't know. I will be interested to see when all those changes come out. Um, they are going to be. It's going to be a slow release. Uh, I think. Uh, what was it here? The uh, first two books are going to be released in November, which are going to be the Pathfinder Player Core and the Pathfinder GM Core. Mm. And uh, I do, I personally do think it makes a degree of sense to separate it. Um, I've always been a big fan of just having the big giant core rule book. Uh, but True. I do understand that the price point for that can be a barrier of entry for new players. And so I certainly understand going, here's the book that if you're a player, you need this book. If you're the game master, you need that book plus this other book. Um, unless you trust your players to know their abilities, at which point you might not even need the player's book. Hmm. Well, if I'm, I'm if you playing, have new so players, you're going to yeah. have to have the core rule book. Yeah. Hey, you're, you've been okay at remembering your second edition abilities. <laughs> it helps there's less of them. <laughs> yeah. It's really just power attack. <laughs> I was going to say, it helps I'm playing a fighter. What am I doing? I'm power attacking, I'm knocking somebody down, or I'm attacking them. That's basically my, oh, my like entire Fighters list. get more options attack to use in combat than anybody great, else. Yeah. yeah, you get a ton of great options, but like a lot of my stuff, I picked like some defensive stuff and things like that that like it's easier to remember because there's like, you know, the six major things that I use in combat, and then there's the stuff that I have out of combat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and then the Pathfinder uh, Monster Core rulebook is coming out in uh, March next year, and the Pathfinder Player Core 2 is coming out in July. And uh, I do actually like that they are splitting the classes between the two books. There's already a fair number of classes. Like, putting it all in the core rulebook would actually be pretty difficult. I don't like the name of that second book. I wish it wasn't Core 2. Because what the heck does that even mean? Maybe that's not the final Yeah, title. I, I maybe... And... It, it I might liked be, Advanced the, the, Player's Guide. I thought Advanced yeah. was a good word. Yeah. You know, and, well, and I think Advanced kind of um, signals where the... So, for instance, the the Player's Guide is supposed to have... Uh, what do we got here? The Bard, Cleric, Druid, Fighter, Ranger, Rogue, Witch, and Wizard mm-hmm. um, are going to be in the first player core book. Uh, Witch and Wizard is an interesting in there. I love uh, Witches, the fact, though. I'm so happy. Yeah. Um, and I find it too curious that they don't have the sorcerer in there. Uh, and then the player's core two is going to have the um, <clears throat> alchemist, barbarian, champion, investigator, um, monk, oracle, sorcerer, and swashbuckler. I'm guessing those are the more fiddly classes. Well, the alchemist, expe- like I mean, the alchemist, yeah, alchemist as a core sure class was always, it's, it's not necessarily fiddly. It's just, it's a class that takes a lot more investment 
and it's like a lot into running that. Um, I find the alchemist interesting, but uh, well, the monk is like you already have a fighter, so the monk is just kind of it's a yeah. new different class, but it's not like if you want to go punch somebody, you could technically do that as a fighter. Yeah, and the beauty, the beauty, and the drawback somewhat of the uh, the sorcerer, although you get kind of the same flavor with the uh, the witch, is the ability to tap into any of the um, true the schools of magic. Oh, but witch, yeah. I do think that there's going to be a lot of uh, really interesting things that are going to come out of, uh, you know, these the new books coming out, and we'll see how they immediately impact the uh, the show. I honestly think that it's. I would honestly be surprised if people noticed, unless we mention it, that we've transitioned from Pathfinder Two to the Pathfinder Remaster, because I don't think that there's going to be any major changes. I, I could mean, be it's wrong. not going to change the characters, like how the characters themselves. Yeah. yeah. Are. Yeah. That was just kind of a, a little bit of a touch on the uh, the remaster project because I know it's a it's something that a lot of people have been thinking on and considering that this OGL debate seems to be kind of cyclical where every couple of years this comes up again, hmm. um, I think finally moving away so it's just not the the conversation I remember during I can't remember if it was during one of the panels or if it was when um, you know we we're having the partner discussion we were going through the stream on that that they talked about that they considered doing it whenever they're releasing second edition. They considered just finally just pulling the plug and just going, you know what, we're completely moving away from the OGL, but they didn't want it to be any more of a jarring transition than it was. Makes sense. Speaking of jarring transitions, uh, Abominations Vault's uh, <laughs> game coming out. <laughs> Diablo style. I'm here for it. I really like Diablo 1, like a lot. I think that was my first online playing with other people experience. Yeah, uh, I was going to say, game. like, if you do it like Diablo 3, where you've got online you know, easy connections to people. Cause like, you know, Jess and I would want to play it together. Maybe Rick and Rachel, like Diablo is one of those games. I think all of us have played and we all really yeah. like. Um, so like, I like that style and it'll be interesting to see how they do the story aspects of it because Diablo has not usually been like, it's got, it's Diablo has a really good story, but it's not like, you know, the reason you buy the game, you buy the yeah, game. But you because... could build that in like Diablo one was like, you go into this one place, you come back to the town, you go into the one place, you come back to the town. So it's like, well, to be perfectly honest, and I'm not going to go into any spoilers for Abomination Vault. I've looked over Abomination Vault. It was on the, uh, you know, it's been on my list a couple of times for this might be something that we'd consider doing for the podcast. It's off of that list, list now um, in large part because uh, we, we have no interest in doing an adventure path that has been done as a CRPG um, mm -hmm. or yep. an ARPG in this case. Because in large we want to play because, it. Well, one, we want to be able to play the video games ourselves because we are also video game players. And two, um, I find a lot of people reach out when they go, I want to listen, you know, I wanted to listen to your playthrough because it's something that I would never have played. Um, so many people said that with Mommy's Mask, that they're mm -hmm. like, I had no interest in playing this. And then after listening to all of you play through it, I really wish I could have played it. <laughs> And I, I honestly don't think that Paizo really puts out a bad adventure path. Some are better than others. But um, sure. in the case of, uh, you know, Abomination Vault, I've looked through it a couple of times. And it, even from a tabletop game perspective, it very much has the feel of Diablo 1. It's, welcome to the small town. Oh, we've got that ruin outside of town. You know, there's terrible things happening under there and everything else. If you could go over there and solve all of our problems for us and feel free to Thank come you. back to town and buy some stuff, whatever you would like. <clears throat> we have a disproportionately high level for the stuff that we could give you for some reason. Well, you're <laughs> boosting the economy by going to that dungeon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm flooding the economy with all this stolen treasure. Here you go. For this specific idea, I think Abomination Vault fits. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I was wondering if that was how they were going to do it because I, I vaguely, I think Ross brought up that they were making that into a game, and I was like, oh, that's cool. And I remember us talking about Diablo, and then lo and behold, apparently that was one of the inspirations. Yeah, because I yeah. had that moment where I was like, wait, Alcat's not doing this game? Oh, I don't know about that. And then hearing that it's not, it's a totally different genre of game, I'm like, oh, okay, all right, this makes sense. Now, I do feel like it is going to end up being, I don't know if anyone else played the Dark Alliance uh, Baldur's Gate games. Mm-mm. No. So I remember when I was uh, when I was a young kid, way, way back in the day, um, one, I remember playing Baldur's Gate and loving Baldur's Gate. And Baldur's Gate was a CRPG and Baldur's Gate held pretty true to a lot of AD&D. It had Thacko, for God's sakes. But they then put out the Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance games. And I played those, and I remember being jarred immediately. Because it's like, here's these things, and you know you can spellcast your spellcasters, spellcasting nonstop and throwing around spells nonstop. And um, it definitely did not adhere to the rule set. And I feel like... Abomination Vault is not going to adhere to the rules of Pathfinder. Yeah, probably not. No, I don't think so. Because again, Kingmaker and Wrath of the Righteous both adhere relatively well to the rules of Pathfinder First Edition. Yeah, I think this is going to be very much a press a button to spellcast infinite yeah, magic Yeah, because this isn't going to oh, be yeah. turn-based, and if it's not turn-based, it's very hard to no, stick to yeah, if it's rules. If it's an ARPG, like having a limitation on something like magic is going to not be enjoyable from a gameplay perspective. You have a cooldown, but it's not the same. At that point, you're like, well, no, I want to play a barbarian because then I don't run out of spells, right? And like, you don't want to have that with with class. I'll probably play ranger because when I played Diablo, this game is just Diablo Part Two in my brain, like actually Part Two, <laughs> not Diablo Two. Yeah. I'll just play a ranger and I'll shoot things from far away because I think it was the ranger that shot things. Maybe it was the rogue. It's been a long time. Um, in uh, Diablo One, it was the rogue. Okay, never mind. Then I'll be playing. <laughs> there is no rogue. It'll be Ranger because it's close enough. I'm sure it'll be Ranger. Yeah, I again, I think it is going to be very much more of a, it's a hack and slash. You know, there's going to be dialogue that they, so far they're showing the iconic uh, Barbarian, Ranger, Cleric, and Wizard. Uh, which really disappoints me that they don't have the, you know, uh, Marisil, the rogue. The rogue. If you're going to have her, uh, I think, wife now, uh, according ah. to uh, character. Oh, wait, if it's you're the iconics. Have... I don't want to play yeah. the Ranger. You can play a dwarf. What's wrong with Yeah, Harst? but Amiri is really cool. <laughs> and Kira is really cool. Anyway. Yeah. But I'm tentatively interested in it. It is, I know it is not going to scratch the same itch that like Kingmaker does. Where oh, yeah. I feel like, you know, to a degree, I feel like it is trying to capture the feeling of playing a tabletop RPG. I feel like it is trying to capture the feeling of playing Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. Which was a good game. And I enjoyed that game. And every once in a while, I went, you know, okay, well, I'm going to kite around this beholder as I run in circles around underneath <laughs> this thieves guild while I try to stab him in the back. Hey, we felt that in a tabletop game fairly recently. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm very interested to see what the Kickstarter um, stretch goals are going to be, whether or not it's going to be additional classes or how it's all going to uh, mm. to factor in. I'm going to state one thing that... Um, that I do really like about the launch trailer, which was I thought the music in it was actually very good. What? I was like, I, and again, I, I like a good soundtrack to something. And so I'm like, that yeah. music is actually pretty, pretty rocking. I just don't watch trailers. I don't know what, at some point I just stopped watching trailers for things. I'll read about them and hear about them, but I, some trailers often ruin stuff. So I just don't A lot of people them. in the chat are saying that there's spoilers in the trailer for it. So oh. there are definitely spoilers for the adventure path if you. Yeah, <laughs> if you watch so. the trailer for it, so. Oops, that's fair. 
Yeah. Which again, it's kind of a yeah. It's yeah, I don't really have anything yeah. more to go with it. It's kind of a yeah thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's exciting to see Pathfinder, you know, go out into a different type of video game. Um, you know, I've somebody who's been somebody who's been following the Pathfinder video games since uh, Pathfinder Online, and oh, actually right. played a little bit of Pathfinder Online back in the day. So I remember the PaizoCon where they demoed that. Like, I, I I'm always interested to see them play that. I never played any of that. I backed it enough that uh, somewhere on the shelf back over there, I've got the Thornkeep book that was like a Kickstarter stretch goal thing. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Funny enough, if uh, I can't remember. If you look at the credits, one, uh, my name's in the credits for Kickstarter backers on um, Kingmaker. And I think I actually got Find the Path in the oh, credits yeah. as a Kickstarter backer on... Uh, uh, War for the Crown. Oh yeah, War for yeah, the Crown, no, Wrath yeah, of the Righteous. We, yeah, for Wrath of okay, Righteous. If they made War for the it. Crown, I would have to play it because you know that would just be like a, I don't know, Life is Strange or Telltale. Like, yeah, I was gonna say if ever if ever there was like yeah. a one that would be a really good like Ooth visual, yeah, it's a visual novel, like a visual novel type thing. <laughs> if we could get War for the Crown as a game by the same studio that did Detroit Become Human, because that was really well done with branching dialogues. And if Detroit wants to use uh, or the the Guys who do that want to use us. Quantum Dreams. The, the problem Dreams with Quantum Dreams that. is uh, uh, David Cage, I think, is the writer. He always just goes off the deep end in the third act. Mm. Yeah. It's like he has a really yeah. good, I remember loving, uh, again, this is the, this is a side tangent stuff that you guys get to listen yes. to. I really enjoyed um, when I was, when I first played um, Indigo Prophecy, which uh, I think it was Fahrenheit oh, man, outside of the, the United day. States. Love that game. And uh, I picked up that game. I played through it. And the first third of that game is phenomenal. Minor spoilers for a much older game, but it is basically you start the game um, having just basically come back to consciousness after murdering someone in the bathroom of a diner. Oh, yeah. At which point you then have to hide their body and clean up and then leave that. And you're basically trying to stay one step ahead of the uh, investigators. But you're also playing the investigators' pursuit. And I was like, this is amazing. Do I want to be the, do I want them to be caught or not? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then later on, I'm just like, am I an undead guy fighting an incarnation of the internet? What is going on here? (laughs) I would really hate to see what would happen with like, it's like it starts out with the gala and you're doing everything with the gala and all the rest of that stuff. And by the end of it, apparently it's, you know, the the ghost of Aroden has possessed Utropia and is trying to bring back a new age of something or another. It's like, what has happened? Did, okay, so we just fire David Cage <laughs> and hire whoever else. And yeah. then they just, well, because they're adapting an adventure path, right? So he says That's you're fair. suplexing an Aboleth. <laughs> that would be pretty great. I bet you're wondering how I got here. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm tentatively uh, excited for the Abomination Volts, but we'll see what happens. And again, you know, it's a Pathfinder game, so we might end up doing some streaming stuff. I know that streaming um, gameplay and all the rest of that stuff is something it's that we're co-op. trying to get into a little bit more. It's co-op. I mean, yeah, I'm curious if it's, if it's, if it's co-op. co-op. Yeah. Oh, I oh love man. Couch co-op. couch co-op would be great. I love a couch co-op that's not split screen, and that's really rare. Oh, you mean just have like a connection between two TVs? No, 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 no the like- ones where you're all on the same screen, like like Diablo oh, does yeah. it. Like Dark Alliance, actually. Mm-hmm. I think it did that thing where, I think Dark, I can't remember if it did, or if it was the Dark Alliance, if it was a separate game, that did the thing where you're on the same screen unless you go opposite directions and then it splits the screen, but then if you come mm. back together, it merges the screens again. Uh, Interesting. Oh, like classic. I think uh, It Takes Two did that. It might. When Jess and I played that. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I suppose we should launch into some Q&A and get to that uh, that promised portion of this, which was just yes. uh, us chatting with people. So uh, so if you have questions, toss them into the stream chat. 
Also, um, Eagle King in the chat is mentioning It Takes Two, which is a delightful game to play with another person. It's almost like yeah. because I mentioned it. <laughs> oh, you did? I literally said that <laughs> oh, no. just now. Oh, no. I said, like, It Takes Two does that. Jessica's going to check her headphones real quick. I left right. my headphones yes. off. <laughs> I was not um, listening to when you, I, obviously. When I say that Jess doesn't listen to me, y'all have evidence right now. <laughs> okay, but he barely listens to me also. And it's now true. we're in the couples therapy portion of the... Uh, <laughs> Time for us to bicker. So how does that make you feel, Jordan? No. Uh, Let's get to uh, Jessica. Give me some cues. All right. Here's some cues. The first cue is from, oh, man, I don't know. Satirical. It's almost like Seder with an L at the end, but there's too many Ys. Um, (laughs) And they're. (laughs) So that's satirical. Yes. Uh, Girl. Yeah. That's how I would say it. Just Seder is fine. She says. Okay, fine. Or they say. They say that Seder is fine, so Seder is fine. Um, question about Pathfinder. Yeah, Satyr. Satyr. You know what? <laughs> Just give me the We're question. Oh, my God. Question <laughs> on Pathfinder Remaster. This is we'll the come back because they asked the second floor. question. Um, will you be using the new terms? No Asimar, Tieflings, only Nephilim, all Knolls being Kolo now. Or will you still be using the old terms because you're more used to them? Well, I have two answers for this. The first off is, and I'm by no means a legal expert, um, but the first answer to this is, to my understanding, we don't have to change it. In large part because the material that we're running was actually published before any of this OGL debate. And of course, the OGL thing is, you know, currently fine. Air quotes, fine. I, my second answer to it is, I don't think that I'm going to be able to constantly remember. Um, I think we're probably going to be using the term tiefling, tiefling, however you want to say it, quite often. Especially because... There's 20 years of history behind those, you know, terms for at least two of the players. Well, and again, it's something, it is what we've already been saying for 60 episodes of this show. Mm -hmm. And so um, we'll probably occasionally, I'll probably use them interchangeably. And again, from what I understand, as far as the Nephilim and all the rest of that stuff is that's kind of a general term I think that they're using to describe. I still use the term Genossi um, because oh, that's weird. just stuck in my head for mm. like all of the elemental bloodline creatures, even though that's a D&D thing. True. Because I started playing in the Forgotten Realms and I started playing with AD&D and into 3.0 and all the rest of that. I think we'll try to integrate some of them. We'll do our best. I'm not even promising necessarily to do my best. I'm I'm probably gonna it's probably gonna happen a couple of times and then our you know, best it's may not same. be very good, but it'll yeah. be our best. It's true. It's kind of like race and ancestry. That one was hard. Oh yeah, that's I, I still mess that up. I still mess that up. Well, especially because we go back and forth between first edition and second that's edition. That's true. Yeah, that's and also you guys it hard. play Starfinder stuff and spell you know, level is just never gonna go away though. So that's gonna be the hill I die on. Well, I'm just never gonna <laughs> remember to think spell rank. It doesn't convey the same thing to me. Yeah. We pride ourselves on trying to stay as close to the material that we work with as possible. And some of that problem will probably end up being the fact that we're running an adventure path that is eight years old, I think. Mm. And so I'm already doing the translation from that. Maybe if I make a note in here to go, you know, a devil-blooded Nephilim instead of saying tiefling, but it also doesn't feel like it roles Mm -hmm. the terminology it feels a lot more mechanical and so in world um i don't think suddenly everyone in the 
Red Roof District's going to be referring to everyone in the Devil's Nursery as Niflheim. Mm. Very true. Well, because, you know, angels and devils are different things, and so people would have different perceptions. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I understand for mechanical reasons why, or actually, I understand for legal reasons why they feel yes. the need to move away from uh, using terms, especially because of the um, rampant popularity of tieflings in Dungeons and Dragons. Ah, uh, there is, I'm going to, because we're talking about this, um, Joshi Neurotic uh, asks, weren't Paizo removing the numbering system for ability scores? I'm not sure how I feel about that. They are. On one hand, I I 100% understand. Because technically speaking, if you're really looking at Dungeons and Dragons, having six ability scores and having them ranked between you know, having a character start with 10 being the base and 18 being close to human potential, like maximum potential. And it yeah. is all very intrinsically tied to Dungeons and Dragons. And you're never really looking at that number anyway. Well, and there well, was a lot of people that said... in like first edition. In first edition. And there were a lot of people that said that, especially because when you're assigning your stats at character creation, you're already doing that in increments of two. For everything, you're not doing a rolling for your stats, rolling 3d6 or however you want to yeah. do it, getting a score between 3 and 18, that you're just doing sort of a point by. It's not even really a point by. It's just assigning these numbers, and they're always in increments of 2, that you could have removed the ability scores then. And they've already removed ability scores for monsters. They don't even list them in the best theory. It, I think it was a holdover to appease people and... Um, make the transition from first edition to second edition a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And I think to a degree, Paizo's looking at it as <coughs> most people that are joining Pathfinder now, you know, they're just coming into second edition. It's not really a holdover that you need any longer, especially one that might open the door to legal issues down the line. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing you have to consider is it's not just what is going to make sense for players, but also what do they maybe legally have to do or yeah. think that they have to do to be able to be protected? Yeah, I'm the the thing I'm the most curious about, I mentioned this uh, before the stream even began, from character creation, you can't start with an odd number. Mm-hmm. You know, at character creation, you're just assigning plus two here, plus two there. I mean, I think, and I the think only change can will be if you just getting... wanted to like dump it all into one thing. I think... No, you, I think it's... No, it's even at character creation, you, you, you cap at uh, 18. What I think is going to be curious is how is that going to impact leveling yourself up when you get new ability score bonuses every five levels? Mm-hmm. Because that's the point Majority where if you have a 16, it becomes a 17. If you have an 18, it becomes a 19. And you have to spend two times to level that up. So mm-hmm. I'm curious whether or not they're just going to go, you know what, the math is tight enough. So the really the difference between the plus four and the plus five, instead of it having to wait for 10th level, you can get it at fifth level. Yeah, true. I'm curious how they're going to handle that directly because it kind of means that the ability score cap goes from 22, which is what it really was before. You start at first level with an 18 and something. You then raise it to a 19 at 5th, 20 at 10th, 15th, and then 20th, and then you get up to a 22. Um, Moves that cap up to, you know, a plus 8 total bonus, so to a 26, uh, as far as an ability score is concerned. And so you go from having a plus six in something to being able to have a plus eight in something. I'm curious how that's going to work, but that's getting really crunchy and theory crafty with something that uh, I guess we just have to wait until November to really figure out. I'll go go ahead and tell you one thing they're not going to do. They're not going to say you have a plus 4.5. Yeah. 
Guaranteed. No, let's <laughs> Round up. Uh, yes. Or down. Back to AD&D again. I really would love if I had attack speeds that it's just like I get an extra attack every third round. Oh, gosh. I would never remember. Okay. Next question from Wizardly Blood. Um, how do you keep all the NPCs and storylines straight in such a big sandbox as Hell's Rebels? Notes. Okay. In Hell's Rebels, a lot of it is um, we do that entirely on Foundry. And we have since the very beginning, as far as Hell's Rebels is concerned. And Foundry actually has a lot of options for being able to put information directly into it. I have a master document um, that is literally just a Google document that I just, every single room is its own header. And then I just put tons of information in there. And then I've just got a big section at the end. And I'm a big fan of Control F because I do everything now online um, since we're doing all the recording remote. And I don't <laughs> run a game that isn't recorded. The one advantage to the technology, the technology side of it is control F and find all the information that I need and copy paste things. As far as keeping the character straight, it's just every character basically has their own. Back in the day, like way back in the day, I used to use index cards and I just write a lot of information about a character on an index card. And then I'd pull that out whenever the players are talking to that character. Mm. And uh, now I just do kind of the digital equivalent of that. Um, one thing that I do now that I'm doing a lot more of the technological side of it and it has changed up my my process, I think to the better, is when I introduce a new NPC or if I know an NPC is coming up, I'll actually just open a PDF of all six adventures and then I'll do a search function on each one of those to mm, find any time nice. that that character's name is mentioned, period. And then I'll copy paste all of that character's information into a separate document and then just go through and kind of organize it in a way that makes sense for me. Uh, which is how in Mummy's Mask, I ended up with the master document for uh, Hockitep, which is also on my list of things to eventually get out to everyone, uh, being my ah, Mummy's yes. Mask notes. Oh, yeah, the full story. Where it's just like, here's the eight-page backstory for Hockitep. Spoiler alert for Mummy's Mask, Hockitep's the main bad guy. Uh, you find that out pretty early. <laughs> is he, is, you have no context. He, he, <laughs> he might, he might be the owner of the mask. <laughs> um, or for that matter, you know, I did uh, almost the exact same thing for uh, Brazili in Hell's Rebels, where I just went, you know what, I'm just going to search through here and find everything that there is about this character and put it in one place. And a lot of times it's because there'll be small throwaway things that are just squirreled away somewhere in a book where they're just like, Brazili loves dogs, blah, 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 blah. You know, there's a whole thing in the the player's guide mm -hmm. where it's just like yeah. Brazili uses dogs for all of these things and has people turn in dogs. And, he loves you dogs, know, but he treats them badly. Yeah, but then you find out that it's like Brazili is secretly terrified of dogs because he was bit by a dog once when he was a child. And so he uses them as a weapon against other people because he believes they're the most frightening creatures in existence. <laughs> and so I'm just like, okay, well, let me take that over here. And that now actually informs that, even though it might not have been mentioned until book six. Very true. Heck, one of my favorite things was there's a, a villain in one of the adventure paths, I won't name who it is, that they established that he is, actually has a phobia of cats. Mm. And I was just like, that's such an interesting thing. Let me make sure to make a note of that here. It'd be great if someone was playing a cat folk, but... Uh, oh, man. <laughs> that's just, you just give that nudge in the character creation, like, I'm not saying you should, but, you know, cat folk are interesting. That'd be a really yeah. interesting character there, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's a lot of how I go through there. Is, is I've gotten into the digital age now, so I do a lot of Control-F to just search through documents to find everything that I can and compile it all together into one uh, master folder. But, yeah, yeah, I've gotten somewhat spoiled by using technology in gaming yeah. now. Well, we have that quest log thing in Foundry for all the different little 
storyline stuff. So. Yeah, we have quest. I use the quest log functions in Foundry, and um, we're putting in like notes um, <clears throat> into the journal yeah. entries. Yeah. Um, People are asking for a tour of Foundry sometimes, so that might be a cool. I think to that'd do. be a really fun thing to do. Um, I do use a different, a bunch of different things in Foundry, such as the quest log. Um, and they can the, see your wild screen where you just have like a million things on it. Yeah, yeah. There's a thing called I think it's called Simple Calendar. I can't remember exactly oh, what it yeah, is. Oh yeah, yeah, that we use. Yeah, but it provides both a calendar that I can advance the timer on, which actually advances the duration for spells, which is really useful. And I can also add notes to that calendar, so I can just go, what day did I can click on there? And just go, Adria got filth fever on this day, and then just go, all right, we'll click and done. And then you know I can also put a note later on that goes, Adria's filth fever kicks in on this day, and throw that mm. in the you know on there, and it will actually pop up a little reminder for me. Whenever That's the time nice. advances to the point where uh, that it's on that day for the calendar, so uh, <laughs> utilizing technology is a useful thing. And then honestly, we might end up just making a stream about that someday. I know Jessica streamed a couple of times when she's been messing around just with Foundry, putting stuff in Foundry. Yep. Uh, it was a, a relevant question also uh, that uh, Tossed Right Out asked: uh, How are we hosting Foundry? We self-host it, so I actually host. Uh, all of our stuff actually is, is hosted uh, at my house. So uh, we have, um, you know, I have servers here that I actually, you know, use to host uh, uh, Foundry instances for me, Rick and uh, Jess, because we have different games going online and offline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we and host the website. Oh, yeah. And also Ross might be getting, yeah. Yeah. Um, so all those are hosted there. Um, I host like our wiki web page. Technically, it, it actually hosts uh the episodes themselves are all Do you there do appropriate well. backups, Jordan? We're being asked uh, by Mojiba. Dude, I got so many backups, y'all don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I pay a lot of money for backups every month. <laughs> Jordan did a stream once where he built a computer, I think. I did do a stream once where I built or a computer. Something. You'll never Start be able to running. find it again because Twitch doesn't like to save old streams. It's true. Yeah. Which is why we usually back those up onto uh, YouTube. But All right. Satir asks... If you were in charge of deciding party members for a Mummy's Mask CRPG, what iconic character and what NPCs would you choose as party members? You iconic. gotta take... Uh-oh, what's his name? He's got a little Nisoy friend. Tetmanib. Oh, Tetmanib? Tetmanib. You gotta take Tetmanib. Yeah, I think you could do a lot of interesting things with uh, Tetmanib as a character that's introduced in uh, book two. Um, honestly, I've always liked the this guy's a bad guy, but then maybe joins your party. So um, there's a rival adventuring group in book one. Oh, that, yeah. Uh, some yeah. of the characters from that oh, joining yeah. your party would be really interesting. Oh, like um, the yeah, scorched I'm, I'm keeping people. it kind of vague, but... Yeah, yeah. There, there's also like a really cool um, NPC in... What was it? The third book in a town when you go, you go into a town. Uh, a small tour I, guide would be yeah. cool. Yeah, well, we've got... <laughs> Actually, that's a good really point. Vague. I was gonna say, how vague can I be with this? But like, there's the one a tour that also, guide. There was also like the leader of the town that was really interesting. Um, yeah, in that one, there's, there's a, a cool really guardian great... of a secret location. Yeah, yeah, that's there's a lot of there's, people. God, there's like there's some really good NPCs in Mummy's Mask. There are so. a lot of really good NPCs in Mummy's. As far as the iconics are concerned, I mean, I mean, Kira makes sense. Kira makes the most sense, especially you could have a, a kind of an interesting angle pertaining towards the cult of the Dawnflower and mm. their involvement in. True. Osirian. Well, and if Kira, then Mariciel. Yeah. You know, you... 100%. Oh, Falto. Falto's like a real NPC, right? He wasn't just like the boyfriend. Well, Falto in the book has less than a paragraph about him. Hey, but he has one. 
you know, he is technically in there. So, you so know, what you needs to be happening a, is whoever does this, hire Rick to expand upon the character. <laughs> you could also do something interesting with like Septi the Crocodile, who's the oh, head of the Church cool. of Phrasma in the city. Oh, and what's his face? Oh, um, Shepus, the yeah, head Shepis. of the... You would definitely want to have like an Inquisitor or something like that as far as the Inquisitor of Phrasma. Actually, I think the iconic Inquisitor is an Inquisitor of Phrasma, the half-orc Inquisitor. Oh, oh yeah, you're true. right. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. And she's cool. Um, You gotta put the Viper in though, right? Is he a thing? He's kind of an amalgamation of multiple things from different oh, places. Oh, no. Well, okay. We gotta get the Viper from our story because <laughs> so, that's yeah, it's fun. A, it, it is that... Uh, my players, at the very least, are thinking about it. They're thinking about it with all the changes that I've made to the story. Well, yeah, we didn't read I was going to say, yeah, it's funny how many APs we don't actually know, like, what the actual AP is. Because we don't, like, read it yeah. or anything. We just, you know, we just think get the it's a thing, version. and then we find out, oh, well, that's the thing I made up. And it's like, oh, I was given Paizo more credit it. than they yeah, deserve. Yeah, that's, that's, that's like <laughs> Legacy of Fire is, like, the, the first AP that uh, we played, like, Jess and I played uh, together. And we loved it. But Rick did a lot of editing to it to make it really, really cool. Uh, yeah. That like you know it was actually like changed some major things about like how like some of the the books worked and stuff. I adhere to the idea that an adventure path is it's your foundation. It's the bones of the house. Feasibly speaking, especially with a very well written adventure path, it's basically a completely done house. But it's up to the game master to go in there and actually paint the walls and put the furniture in and decorate it and make it look like a home. Mm. And so, That's so again, comfy. I was. Yeah, when again, I was provided a very good, especially with, you know, Mummy's Mask. Um, I think a lot of people overlooked it because it is a it is a dungeon-heavy adventure path and um, kind of felt it towards the last third of that AP. The Sightless Sphinx going into, um, you know, book five and book six, where there's a lot of dungeons back to back to back. True. But at the same time, even in those dungeons, it had a lot of NPCs that really let me work with it. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, just random side note. Again, we're just chatting here. I get really nostalgic for Mummy's Mask. I do miss high-level wizards. Well, just just in general, just like in general. The, the setting was fun. Those characters were fun and interesting. Like all of the all the characters that you guys were made were fun and interesting. Every once in a while, I just get a little nostalgic where I'm like, yeah, you know, I do just kind of miss going. All right, you know, you guys are you guys are out here in the desert doing desert things. That's true. It's hot. I, mi I miss the vibe also because, like, playing that AP, I was, like, everything that I found that was, like, about discoveries in Egypt and stuff like that, like, suddenly the top of my feed, I was like, oh, that's so cool. I want to, like, you know, post on Twitter about that Yeah, what's this interesting thing? You know, what's this other, and, like, you know. it's, it's a little bit harder to do that with, like, War for the Crown because, eh. <laughs> You, you know, don't like, read enough about that. I don't like, read about that time period. Victorian. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's literally a coronation going on today, so... That's true, but we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I guess. I don't know. I'm American. So. We don't care yeah. about that guy. <laughs> I don't know about that. All right. I'm going to ask the next question because we now have many of them. Baron Altorin asks, uh, have you played or Rick, have you read any of the two EAPs and what do you think of them? Or are you not playing anything that's not recorded anymore? So secret, I suppose secret nerd confession here. I peruse every adventure path that comes out. It makes it hard if you want to GM for him. That's why we never GM for Rick. It's and it's from a top-down level. Um, you know, I usually just kind of, especially if, especially if I know it's something that we're probably not going to run, or if it's something that I feel that I can use that information for something else. So, for instance, I've thoroughly read through uh, Bloodlords because mm -hmm. that kind of ties into some things that are occurring in Tyrant's Grasp, and so I went through there and went, can I find interesting information? Um, that applies back over to this other AP that I'm actively running. True. And Jordan and I are playing some 2E APs. Jordan's running Quests of the Frozen Flame. 
and yeah. uh, we're both playing in a Blood Lords game. Yeah, and I I like Quest for the Frozen Flame a lot. Um, it reminds me a lot of it's a very different take on it, but a kind of a lot like Mummy's Mask because it has like overland travel and exploration as as you know int- yeah, introduced true. very early, um, and it has like I I really like what they did with the following, which is like the the tribe that you're with, like. There's some stuff with like you don't have to be a member of the of the tribe originally and stuff so that you can kind of play whatever you want but like the lore behind it is really interesting to me and i think they did a really great job with like not like piecemealing that out because like you're you're a member of this you know tribe and so you know this like rich storied history and they have really great like really great npc list from the start so um, yeah. I really, I've really liked uh, what I've read of it, and I've liked running it. And I think, I mean, Jess, tell me if you've been enjoying it, despite the fact that oh, I've I mean, I have a mammoth friend named Fig, so I'm here for it. <laughs> and and you keep naming all the all the animals after musical instruments. After musical instruments, yes, it's yeah. it's a delightful AP. You get to befriend a lot of animals, uh, which is always. Although Jordan keeps killing mammoths, and that's very upsetting. I also really like blood Let us, let us be, let's often... be clear. Things are happening. Animals are dying because it sometimes happens. I didn't um, have anything okay. to do with this. Jordan Regardless, himself. Blood Lords is fun because how often do you get to play a skeleton? Not often. Blood Lords That's is fun. like, Blood Lords reminds me of Starfinder. Like, I have a hard, really yes. hard time taking Starfinder seriously. Starfinder is a heck of a lot of fun, but like, I don't know if I can really do like a serious AP in it most of the time. Blood Lords yeah. is the goofiest, weirdest thing because it's like, supposed to be kind of evil, but we play it it's, silly it's, and it's fun. It's just a weird setup to where like it it's kind of like playing Warhammer. Like I can't take Warhammer uh, super yeah. seriously because it's too depressing if it's serious. Right. It's fair. I won't go into depths, huge in depth into uh, my general thoughts as far as uh, what do I think of the second edition of Interpaths? I think that they're doing a lot of very interesting things with the second edition of Interpaths. I think that they're exploring areas of the world that they haven't explored previously. Uh, they're approaching things from a more um, experimental f- phase. Uh, yeah. I think when I think when we were having a conversation about this not too long ago, we talked about how back in the day, Paisa would do one traditional adventure path and then one experimental adventure path. Um, and now it feels like almost every adventure path is experimental. And whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing is up to the individual. Um, whether or not, you know, not having anything that feels like a traditional adventure. The curious thing, and I don't know if it's an intentional part on Paizo's behalf, is that a lot of the adventure paths feel like they are not as, uh, for lack of a better term, as serious. I can't imagine a tyrant's grasp in second edition with the style of adventure paths that they run. Yeah. Because even looking through, it's just like, all right, well, you know, we have a, a standard setup <clears> here where it's like, you know, here's this, honestly, Abomination Bolt is kind of one of the closer things of an actual, like, very serious adventure that doesn't just go... You know, and then you show up in this town and you walk into this, you know, the bar or whatever else. And the bartender is a little leshy for a turnip head and hops up onto the table and starts having a conversation with you and doesn't capture that exactly that same feel. And I tend to go for the more serious, um, obvious from the, uh, the the shows that we run. I tend to go for a lot more of the serious uh, side of things. But the beauty of it is, is that, you know, if you don't want if you want that in there, if you want to have this, you know, this lightheartedness of the kind of the whimsy of having, you know, a turnip bartender, you can have it there. And as long as you're running the game and you want to make changes, I can make every single bartender a dwarf if I want to Um, Mm -hmm, insert dwarf wherever. If there's a character, I don't like this character. I insert a dwarf. (laughs) That's not true, but I really should. Overall, I think the second edition stuff is very interesting. And I am very curious because I have heard that uh, James Jacobs, who was in charge of the original run of most of the first edition of Venture Paths, is uh, taking back over the Adventure Path line. There's a four-part so, AP coming that I'm 
dying. Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Anyway. And of course, of course, they're finally actually delivering it. And the one thing I will shake my finger at James Jacobs about is uh, he has notoriously said that he does not like dwarves. And I think that's a large mm. part that there is there is a entire elven, you know, drow adventure path and uh, finally getting some dwarves. Hey, I was going to say, you're getting your dwarven adventure path, so we can check that off the list of wants. But when will I get my yeah. orc adventure path? When, when will I get my halfling adventure path also? I, I just <laughs> want an adventure path where uh, I'm, I'm going to stop myself before I go on a tangent with one of my other issues pertaining towards uh, second edition adventure paths. Let's all right, just we're move moving on, on to uh, Joselle, number one, uh, asks, so will you never play in person again? Uh, as far as recording is concerned, probably not. Having separate tracks for everyone is great. Having a separate track for everyone makes the audio editing side of it a lot easier. Uh, fortunately, we have gotten to the point now where everyone's setup is is good enough that we're delivering on quality audio at all times. Um, even listening back to some of the stuff when we were in studio, the audio quality, the editing that I'm able to do while we're recording separately is quality. The feel is different. There is always a slightly different feel to playing virtually and focusing on the table. And I actually got into an interesting conversation a little bit back pertaining towards the problems with using Foundry. Uh, one of the biggest ones being uh, I had to change a trap in War for the Crown because it would work wonderfully if you're playing in Theater of the Mind. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't, and if you're looking at a battle map, which you've been looking at a battle map the entire time, unless I suddenly clicked away off of that battle map, which would give away... Yeah, um, you'd be like, why are you, you know, doing that? It's like, why are you doing this? Uh, it doesn't work. And so um, knowing there is a certain degree of uh, when you're playing digitally, when you're playing online, when you're not playing in person, um, even when you're using digital assets, when you are playing in person, there is a certain level of that that really enforces the G side of RPG. It's you're looking at a map, you're looking at a screen, you're always looking at that. And so um, it sometimes does cause that's why I have a landing page for almost every single one of the uh, foundry things that we have that's just character art. That's just like you don't need to you don't need to be looking at a map. You don't need to be considering ca tactical movement. You're having a conversation. You mm -hmm. know, look at the other characters. Look mm -hmm. at the other players. Unfortunately, I don't see us playing in person again. Unless it's for fun. Unless it's just for fun. We, uh, you know, we do have a, a find the path retreat coming up pretty soon. It's uh, we're not even recording anything. It's just going to be us as a bunch of friends getting together uh, with a swimming pool and hanging out and just getting to reconnect because. Um, again, I see Heather maybe once um, a month in person, mm -hmm. you know, because she does live the furthest away from all of us. And you see Yeah, it's like I see Justin Jordan on the regular, probably multiple times a week. I see Ross weekly. But, you know, actually getting everyone together all in the same place at the same time is very rare. And we'll probably right. do a little bit of tabletop gaming while we're there. True. I've purchased a couple of uh, very interesting, very like easy to run um, other systems that I just kind of oh, I want to experiment around with instead mm, of uh, yes. need to go to the full crutch for things. So. Someday oh, we will somebody, finally somebody finish Strange, Strange Aeons. Aeons and us finishing it. No, we're not finishing Strange <sighs> yeah. Aeons. Ugh. Not at this retreat. Yeah. yeah, we'd need a longer retreat actually. Mm. Yeah, um, we'll put that for a like ten thousand dollars a month goal or something like that. Yeah. We'll rent a cabin <laughs> we'll and take a week off, we and just... off and keep going. <laughs> uh, we don't record it or anything. We'll just say, "Hey, everybody, we finished it," and we took some pictures. No, <laughs> we do record it. We record. We live stream the whole thing. It's a oh live my God. stream. No, it's like a 
50-hour oh, no. live stream. Oh, gosh, we Truman show the whole thing, and it's just, like, constantly yes. running. Oh, it my starts gosh. with Rick giving us all a recap because it's been a thousand years. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we would need one for sure. I left off I left off mid-dungeon between two floors yes. of a dungeon yes, and book did. four of the adventure I really path. want to rescue my mentor sometime. <laughs> I don't even remember what you guys are doing anymore. I don't even remember All I remember name. is that there's a guards and wards spell or something like yes, that. There something is. horrible. <laughs> We're mean. stuck. That's what I remember. Yep. All right. right. Next anyway. question. Next question. Yeah. We have so many questions. Next question. Uh, Baron Altorin uh, asks, your place in charge of having a 1E AP officially converted to 2E. Which one do you think would work best with the new mechanics and transition most smoothly? Aside from Hell's Rebels? Honestly, it's not even necessarily the one that would work the best with the new mechanics. It would probably transition pretty smoothly. I'm very surprised that they have never done a transition for uh, Rise of the Rune Lords. Mm. I mean, it's the staple quintessential first edition of Venture Path. And maybe it's just trying to move away from it. I do think that the transition uh, would be fairly smooth because it doesn't... The earlier an adventure path is, the fewer bestiaries were out. So the more traditional monsters are in that adventure path. And so I could certainly see that working quite well. It was funny because I was thinking of Curse of the Crimson Throne as another one that would be... Yeah, I was thinking Skull and Shackles, you give everybody the pirate background. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you'd have to, like, soup up, I think, the naval combat stuff, but I think you're going to have to do that in the AP regardless, so. But Rise of the Rune Lords is such a traditional adventure path. It's kind of quintessential first edition, and again, not to belabor something or beat a dead horse or anything, one of the challenges I think that Paizo had was Age of Ashes wasn't the Rise of the Rune Lords of second edition. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've heard some people argue that, you know, a couple of the other adventure paths kind of come close, but Age of Ashes had that very... It had the growing pains of being created the while, the, while the second edition. Yeah, it was well, and it was created while the second edition was still being finalized. Yeah. And so um, the balance isn't quite there, despite the fact that uh, some of those books, uh, including the sixth book of that, very much interests me hmm. and resolve some very interesting things in the setting. Yeah, I think it's the, it's the challenge also, like Rise of the Rune Lords was originally written in 3.5. So they didn't have a whole new system that they were trying to launch mm. at the exact same time as they're trying to do a new AP. Yeah. So it's it's hard to make all that align. In yeah, it was way, it was I a think. three point it was a three point five adventure path that they wrote immediately after having just finished writing their first three actual adventure paths for Dungeon Magazine in the form of uh, Shackled City, uh, Age of Worms, and Savage Tide. Mm. Uh, so they already had a lot of experience with writing adventure paths, and you know Shackled City is quality as far as you know 3.5 adventures age of worms uh went a little off the road actually i actually have the hardback of shackled city down there don't know if i'll ever get a chance to run that but we're gonna speed through some questions uh satire which first e ap makes a good first ap for beginners same for 2e but the answer can't be abomination vaults now (laughs) rise of the rune lords is challenging but rise of the rune lords is just such a good adventure path I will say Curse is good for players. Um, Curse is not a good first adventure path for Oh, no, masters. not for a GM. I guess yeah. depending on who's new. If everybody's yeah. new. Yeah, because Rise, Rise does a really good job at staying kind of focused in but Rise a relatively kills you small area. real mercilessly early on. Yeah, which but, is not but a great from, first experience. It can. But from a lore building and everything, like it's it's fairly tight in terms of you don't need to know everything there is to know about Galarian. You don't need to worry about an entire city of NPCs. You know, you have... 
it's a really good starting point because it's kind of focused on the town of Sandpoint and, yeah. you know, new adventurers. Second one that I will throw out there and uh, minor bias, but honestly, Mummy's Mask. Yeah, Mummy's yeah. Mask, the yeah. pacing is really good. Um, the first book is basically three mini dungeons that it really focuses in on that. Yeah. You're in a city that you can retreat back to fairly often. It lore wise also is very good because you can pull a lot of actual Egyptian mythology and it's yeah, there's a yeah. 90% chance it's it's gonna be accurate. Well, and most people already know basic Egyptian mythology. If you're just yeah. like, it's a pyramid. Okay, oh, I know what a pyramid is. It's a mummy in a pyramid. Okay, there's a sphinx over there. I know what sphinxes are. I don't really know Tui, to be honest. I mean, I know I Tui, but I don't really know the, which the, AP the would be best. Yeah, the thing I have with uh, with Tui is because a lot of them are very experimental. Beginner's box. Hmm. Maybe a module would be better. If you're taking Abomination Bolts off the table, I honestly have heard a lot of people say Extinction Curse is a very good adventure path, is very well balanced. It kind of mm. captures a lot of the feel and everything else on there. There was an interesting briefly what I considered, and I, if maybe if we ever did approach Extinction Curse, I would take the same angle. Um, it gets into that whole idea of there's sometimes unnecessary silliness in second edition ones, especially for something that Extinction Curse itself is such a serious adventure path that has the framing of being a circus. Mm. And the circus mechanics in it are cumbersome, having bred over them. If you simplified the circus mechanics, I would say Extinction Curse would be a very good first edition adventure path to drop people into because it involves a lot of travel. It has a lot of variety from locations. It keeps you still focused on the same aisle because you're on the Isle of Cortos, but you get to travel around the Isle of Cortos. Other than uh -huh. that, I mean, maybe taking one of the three book APs, um, that yeah, Dwarven Adventure fair. Path that's coming up pretty soon, you know, <laughs> yeah. first to tenth level. Ones that aren't out so, yet. so, yeah, so three-part Adventure Paths would be great in general for new players because you're also not making a huge commitment in a multi-year commitment to to finishing it. Versus, it's three books. We can finish this in about a year. Um, it's a lot easier because the reality of gameplay is we all have busy lives and scheduling is always a nightmare. Wizardly Blood, I want, I want a CRPG that strips down the extra features and systems in Kingmaker slash Wrath, preferably. Rise of the Rune Lords or Return Lords, of the Rune Lords. Yeah. Same One of those abbreviation. Two. Or uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne, probably Rise. Uh, what would each of your ideal CRPG adaptations be? I'm kind of sold on Mummy's Mask after we had that question earlier. <laughs> we all like Mummy's Mask a lot, if you can tell. I'm one of those rare people that actually really liked the second part of Diablo 2. Like Act 2 in Diablo 2 when you're in Luke Lane and you're going around the dead. In the desert. Mm -hmm. I think it's because of the aesthetic. I think it was just mm. crunching around on the sand and fighting things. The first part was good, but the first part I played so many times that it kind of like dragged on me. And then uh, God help me if I never have to do the jungle section of Diablo 2 again uh, with the little guys shooting blow darts at you. God, I hated that so much. So yeah, Mummy's Mask. I don't know. Depends on the genre of game that you're wanting to make. Cause, well, it's like, going to be a CRPG. Yeah, so CRPGs. There's just some adventure paths that a CRPG would not... Like, I don't think it would really work well for like Skull and Shackles. Like it'd be really hard to do a CRPG and have it be fun to do like naval combat and stuff. Um, I might have jumped the gun because there was another one that would have been really good. Hmm. Should be Carrying Crown. Oh, yes. Carrying oh, Crown would be great. Yes. No, Carrying Crown would be so okay, carry good. Crown. Yeah, Carrying yeah. Crown. Definitely. All right, moving on because of time. Um, <laughs> Mirror Wolf asks. Uh, what non-remaster release that's been announced are you most looking forward to? Hard mode, Rick can't say Hi Helm or Sky King's Tomb. 
honestly, I, I know Jess mentioned a little bit earlier, but um, what I think it's called Season of Ghosts, I think Season is the, of Ghosts. Oh, yes. one that's following Sky King's Tomb, which is a four-part AP that takes place in uh, Tian Sha. It seems like Especially a J-horror because it's thing. a horror-themed one. Yeah, it's it's yeah. horror-focused, It's um, which always appeals to me. It's in one place? It's in one place. It takes place over the course of a single year where each book represents one season of the year. Mm. Yes. Uh, it has a very unique theme to it and uh, focus on it. Yeah, very much looking forward to that. And uh, as far as hardback releases are concerned... Um, the what is it rage of elements i think is coming out pretty soon which i think is uh is going to be very interesting oh yeah i was well, gonna say Gate, yeah gatewalkers was the <laughs> one that i was always saying for that what were you looking forward to now that that's out it's definitely a uh, season <laughs> of the ghost all right we want to play that okay next question what is something you hope oh this is from set the sloth what is something you hope they will change or fix in the remaster i'd like more druid feats that's not really changing or fixing anything it's just give me more things very small thing here. It bothers me that you take damage from jumping down mm. for like less than 10. Basically, that if you're a kid and you're playing in a treehouse, every time that you jump down out of an eight foot treehouse, you're taking four points of damage unless you have the catfall feet. That does seem yeah. silly. Yeah. I would like a little addendum to that. I don't know why that's a little stickling point with me, but it it's just weird. kind of is. It's just something that I think because it's something you can do in first edition and that kind that's of, I feel like I, should, I feel like Maybe I should be able it. to make an acrobatics check to reduce falling damage. Mm. Um, but it's just not there. You have to take a skill feat. That's uh, for for me, I think it's always been weird to me because electric arc as a cantrip is so much better than a lot of the other damage dealing mm. cantrips. Yeah, I wish that they would kind of buff a lot of the other cantrips to be as as good That's as electric the right arc direction. is. If you were going to yeah. say they should make electric arc less good, I was no gonna no no throw no, you no because I, I I generally feel like the cantrips are are pretty well a little underpowered in terms of the amount of damage you can do compared to like your fighter. More options where you don't have to roll to do damage. Also, yes, uh, more. Because that's what makes electric arc so great. Yeah, we may or may not be feeling salty about foundry dice right now. <laughs> <laughs> see, see an upcoming episode. <laughs> all of you will understand. We recently recorded episode sixty-five for Hell's Rebels, and all of you will understand when you listen to episode sixty-five for Hell's Rebels. <laughs> yes, or really any of the War for the Crown episodes. Yeah, prepare to cry. Ah, rude. <laughs> um, all right, last question is uh, from Topper Harley. As someone planning to convert Council of Thieves, do you agree with the one, two, three, five, four, six book reorder? Essentially switching book four and five. In the so order. I actually ran through Council of Thieves in its entirety. I can certainly see, I've heard that argument before, and I can certainly see that argument. I will say that there are some things that you get in four that make five easier. And five, the way that it is built, is substantially harder. Uh, controversial, maybe, opinion on this. Um, Council of Thieves is famously an adventure path that is a city adventure path, and it keeps you in one city the entire time, with one notable exception, with one mm. part of one book that you leave the city. And I also feel like that one part of that one book where you leave the city is one of the weakest parts of the entire adventure path. Throw it away. Mm. Um, I would actually probably cut that and replace it with something else a little bit more interesting and not really need the parties to leave the city for really any major reason to go out and do something in the hinterlands. It just, it's not really necessary. Mm. I made a major change to Council of Thieves that uh, I can keep this very vague, that basically I had the, um, I had the primary villain for the adventure path introduced early on as a character that was very akin to 
um, had him in haste from our playthrough of ah. mm. uh, Hell's Rebels as this very uh, kind of altruistic, um, seemingly altruistic figure. Um, made him a lot more tragic by having his motivation be, not even necessarily his motivation, his motivation be good, but that he's being corrupted by the powers of evil. And then that is why I made him a uh, sympathetic villain. Mm. A well-intentioned extremist, I think, is the term that's usually used for ah. that type of character. Mm -hmm. Because the, the biggest problem with Council of Thieves, in my own personal opinion, keeping it very vague, the main villain reveal comes completely out of left field in, like, the last two books and is also a character that you've never met. Paizo's done so that means a lot. Yeah, that, that's, that's a couple of adventure paths that do so that. So if, especially if you can introduce the main villain as well as the second to last main villain that has a very close tie to the main villain. Uh, if you can introduce them as a kind of a friendly NPC direction and then realize, oh, wait, they're just trying to do something similar to what we're trying to do, but from a completely different direction that is evil, mm. makes the characters a lot more interesting. So hope that helps. Nice. And still kept it vague enough that everyone's just like... I know nothing about that game, except I like Bearded Devils because of that game. Yeah, That's because of choices I made to make yes. that a thing for you. So Nonsense you're choices that. that would never fly anywhere else. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's going to go ahead and take us to the end of this. Uh, again, our goal had been to complete this at about uh, an hour and a half. And so we 100% missed that goal. But we also had a lot to talk about up top pertaining towards uh, what we're doing now. Um, so we don't really have any announcements or anything else like that, other than the fact that uh, thank you. Well, again, thank you all for joining us. And you can join us again on uh, June 3rd, which will be our next uh, stream for this. Yep. At 11 every first Saturday. Yep. Every first Saturday. And we do want to take, of course, an opportunity. Uh, I know we've already given them a lot of love in this uh, episode, but to thank our patrons. Uh, thank you all for your continued patronage, your support. It has been extraordinarily touching to see the outpouring of support that we have received this year so far. And uh, I have way more work to do because of it. And I'm very appreciative of giving me all this extra work to do. <laughs> so. Yes, yes. Yes, thank yeah, you, everybody. And then other than that, until next time, good luck, Pathfinders. Bye, Pathfolk. Bye. 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 Bye.